I want to talk about maturity today and, and spiritual maturity. The church was designed to be an irresistible community, yet people are not always drawn to it. What do we got to do to change that? We were talking, we were talking about that today. And, you know, God has, has placed Ben Whitford in my life for, uh, for a reason. He, man, this guy keeps me challenged, and he, he really keeps me frightened uh, because of some of his ideas. But, you know, uh, well, you just wait because there's going to be some stuff. Well, I'm not going to say any more. But let's look at, uh, at some scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 8. Paul's talking about moving the church and the community of church from being just this, this place on a corner to having an impact, not just in the community, but in the world. He writes, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with one, each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and the other says, I, am, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like the people of the world? After all, who is Paul, Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Think about that. As nothing that you and I are doing. We are vessels on loan here on earth to allow God to use us and he's the one that caused the increase in the community, in the church. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. It just doesn't matter. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants, the one who waters, work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. And we praise God for the reading of his word this morning. Have you ever wondered what spiritual maturity looks like? I have. You know, I, sometimes, you know, I, I think that there are days when, when I, I have it together, and then there are days that uh, I, I prove to myself that I really don't. You know, we all start as infants. When we're born, we're weak and helpless. We've got to depend upon others to support us. We can't do anything in and of ourselves, can we? No. We have to look out and, and be a, a, a depend on parents. We can't eat for ourselves as babies. We can't drink for ourselves. We have to wear diapers. We can't work or take care of others. We, as infants, we're completely dependent upon other people. 
But as time goes on, we grow, we develop. We learn to control our bodily functions. We learn to crawl. We learn to walk. And, and if you've ever watched a, 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 a young uh, toddler starting to walk, you know, he, he or she will hold on to mom or dad's fingers and they'll walk and, and then they'll fall down and then they become furniture walkers and drape hanger honors and, and they, they, uh, then when they hit two, they get into everything. And, and that's neat as a grandparent to watch that happen because I don't have to say, stop that. I say, investigate! Go get them, tiger! <laughs> they don't let me around much. But as children, when we get a little older, those things, we depend less and less on our, on, on our folks. And then we enter our teenage years. And suddenly, our parents, who knew everything two years ago, become stupid. As a child, my parents knew everything and could do anything. Then I became a teenager, and my parents couldn't do a thing. They were dumber than hog tracks. When I was 14, and I, had, and I was the repository of all known language in the free world, and I had this incredible amount of intelligence, and I was ready to be independent. My problem, though, was I thought I was ready, and I wasn't. I thought I was mature, and I wasn't. It's interesting to see how sometimes we view ourselves as mature long before we ever reach that point. You hear your parents say, will you please act your age? Now, in my family, they would say, act your age and not your IQ. And, and my sister, who's laying up in the hospital back in Bloomington, she was a whole lot smarter than me. Not was, she is. She's a whole lot smarter than me and, and very, very artistic, very talented. She's, just, she's really a brilliant lady. She just had a, she had a broken picker, like a lot of women do, and, and couldn't get the right men. But uh, she loves the Lord Jesus, and she has become spiritually mature. And what a wonderful example she's been to me growing up as, I've, I've, as I've gotten older. And while we live with our parents, we view them as kind of a drag. They hold us back. They, they're so incredibly dumb. Then we move out, and it's unbelievable how smart they've become. Our physical lives, in our physical lives, we reach a point of maturity where we stop depending on others, and people then begin to depend upon us. I never thought that I would reach an age where I became the, matri or the patriarch of the family. And that carries a lot of responsibility because they're looking to you as an example, not for the, the, the shell answer man, you know, that the, hey, granddad's got all the answers. But they look for consistency in our family of our walk with Jesus Christ. That's an awesome responsibility. Maturity in our physical lives mean that we're fully, means that we're fully dependable, develop, we're fully developed people who are capable of dealing with responsibility and having people who are dependent upon us. So I want to look, our first point is having a, having a bird's eye view of 
spiritual maturity. Verse 1, Paul says, Dear brothers and sisters, he's, he's this, if, if you could get the, 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 the real rendering of the original language when he says, Dear brothers and sisters, this is, this is like, like he's sitting down with you and putting his arms around you and giving you a great big hug and a kiss on the neck and says, oh man, I'm just crazy in love with you guys. That's, that's, that's how he's talking to these people. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would spiritual people. Well, we love babies. We're not anti-baby. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in the Christian life. And, and this is how we begin to make the church irresistible to the community. We seek them where they're at, and we then become mature in our faith, where we're able to start eating the whole spiritual food, the meat of the Word. We're not just drinking milk anymore. We have a natural longing to be with people who love us and accept us, and for who and what we are yet also challenge us to be a better version of ourselves. And you know, the, the, the beauty of, of, of this congregation is that you're so loving when, when you issue a rebuke. In fact, sometimes there are people who can lovingly rebuke me and they don't even know they did it. And I loved that. And it made a difference. It got my attention and I needed it. It was so gentle and so kind. And that's how you guys operate. But we have that natural, that natural desire to be with people who want us to be better people. And the church is the true answer to the world's need for community. But they don't always see it. Because we hide our maturity. We get, we get focused on the, on the stuff and we, we don't let people see us for who we are. I, 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 I get to brag on, on people the, the, and brag on our church and the, the things that, that our church does and, and the way that the church helps and reaches out and loves on one another and loves in the community. I was talking with a guy who, who did some work on the church, and he made me understand that he was a card-carrying atheist. I love atheists. I really do. Uh, they, uh, I love atheists that, that aren't really convinced they're atheists because you can tie them up in their own stupid arguments, and, and you don't have to be incredibly bright to do it. <laughs> but, but it's... it's uh, he, I told him, I said, man, I, I said, you know, he, he, I've got a special section in the church in the back row. You guys, incidentally, are sitting in atheist row. Uh, I, I, got a, I got a special, a special play. You just, just keep the seats warm for those guys. Uh, I said, I have a special section in the church that's just for atheists. I said, I'd love to have you guys. He's told me that he was the last person our church would want, our, that our people would want in this church. Last person. And I said, Brandon, to the contrary, uh, I'd like the entire back row filled with you guys. Bring your friends. He says, one of my guys is a Satanist. I said, oh, better still. Bring him. And when the church becomes the church that God intended it to be, people are going to be drawn to us. 
He came, fixed the locks, and talked to me for two hours. And he wasn't talking about atheism. He was talking about this, this God that you say exists, but I don't know who he is. Well, let me introduce you to him. For two hours. Pray for Brandon. See, a church that is alive is naturally irresistible to those who realize their need for community. So what we are looking to do is to find some of the characteristics the church should have that would make it an irresistible community. What is it? What's the magic potion? What's the abracadabra that we have to come up with? And here's the, here's the flash. Be you. Now, we're going to do some things, a little razzle, a little dazzle. You're going to not know what's up the sleeve. You're not going to know what's behind the back. You're going to see things that you're, what was that? And we're not going to tell you. It's just going to happen. Hopefully, it's going to be something that draws people in. Maybe it won't. We'll try something else. How can we change our culture here at, at Shawnee Heights Baptist Church to, to ensure that people are drawn to us and drawn to our message? They've got to like us to come in the front door, and once they come in the front door, the Holy Spirit will take charge. The Corinthian church was not a model to be copied, let me tell you. They, they were pretty proud of themselves in spite of being so carnal. It's natural to presume that when it comes to spiritual maturity, the more spiritual you are, the more mature you should be. That's in your conduct. That's in your, that's in your language. That's in your ability to do the things that you're doing for the cause of Christ, not for yourself. You know, you work a job not to build this empire for yourself. You work a job so you can fund ministry. Well, it's easy for you to say, John, you're the preacher. Yeah, you're right. God has given me the easy work. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way, though. The Corinthians believe that knowledge and speech determine the spiritual depth of a person. You know, if it looks smart, if it acts smart, if it talks smart, it must be smart. You know, looks like a duck, talks like a duck, acts like a duck, it's a duck. Paul, however, opposed this way of thinking because he says there's more to being spiritual than just sounding spiritual. There's more to it than just talking the talk. You know, show me. Paul is saying that the words that we use and how we use them don't make us spiritual. The Corinthians were extremely uh, uh, proud of their spirituality. They were viewing themselves as far more mature than they actually were. In fact, so when Paul writes to them, he has to show them they're not all that in a bag of chips. You guys aren't mature. You're like little kids. In fact, you're not like little kids. You're like infants. You're like... on. Formula. You can't take the meat of the word. And sometimes we let ourselves believe that if we're older, we're naturally more mature. <laughs> if we have been a Christian for a long time, naturally we're more mature. 
If we go through all the right motions and do all the right th- things, we must be spiritually mature. Or, or if we come to church every single week, we pray every night, we must be more mature. No, that's, that's, that's not right. Because if that's all we're doing and we're not showing that, we're not producing fruit in our lives, we are not displaying spiritual maturity. Sometimes the most mature among us have only been a believer for a few years. <laughs> you guys remember Brian Losey? Anybody remember Losey? He's a guitar-picking maniac. I miss Brian. He was like a son to me, too. And there was a time where, where this, this kid hadn't been saved more than, a, more than a couple of years. And he was this spiritual sponge. He couldn't, he couldn't absorb Bible truth fast enough. And he became a very spiritual young man. A very mature spiritual young man. It doesn't come from amassing knowledge and degrees, but through understanding. And honestly, sometimes the more you know, the harder, the harder it is to understand what God is trying to get across to us. A, a few years ago, there was a man that visited our church, and after the service, he started talking to me, or rather, talking at me. And I mentioned in the service that when we argue over petty theological differences, it, it's, it's silly when there are people who are lost in the world. And we're making a point not of their lostness, but we want to be theologically correct. And he wanted to teach me that theology was important. In fact, it was more important than the Great Commission because the Great Commission was given to the disciples, not to the church. Uh, he, He was reading the wrong translation, I think. And as he was talking, it became clear that this man had a lot of knowledge. Lots and lots of knowledge. But he never lived it. He was never in the trenches. He was never in that place where, where people are coming to you and they're pouring their hearts out in, in, in anguish over, over what they've lost or what they're going through. And you're the only answer that they might have and they come to you and say, hey, how can I get this? How can I, what can I do? And you have the answer. And it's simple. And you haven't confounded them with all these huge spiritual truths, all this this theology, all these big words. You've just given them truth. And that's what this guy failed to understand. He knew what the verses said, but he had no idea what they meant. The second thing, the yada factor. Y-A-D-A. Yada. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld made this, made this famous. Uh, uh, the phrase, yada, yada, yada. Remember that? Yada, 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 yada. And, and I always thought that it meant, you know, blah, 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 blah. And in context, it was accurate. However, there is a Hebrew word, yada. Seinfeld was Jewish, incidentally. It means to know, to understand with depth and have an intimate knowledge, yada. The problem with knowledge when not accompanied with understanding is you get a lot of yada, 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 and you don't get any yada. 
And we see people like this all the time. They're doing something inappropriate or they need some encouragement, but when you try to talk to them, they don't hear you. You're saying because they, you hear what you're saying because they already have the answer. They don't want to be confused because their mind's already made up. A part of maturity is realizing that we can know something without understanding it, and even in understanding, we sometimes need to be reminded of it. We need the yada factor in our lives. The third thing is spiritual information is privileged. It's privileged. What you know doesn't make you spiritually mature because you have lots of yada, yada, yada without any real yada. We all crave privileged information. We all want to know things that no one else knows. We want to be on the inside track. We want to know what, what did, how did this happen and what, you know, the... the you go by a car wreck. What happened? I don't know. Well, find out. The guy is in a car wreck. We don't need details. We saw the ambulance. He's going to the hospital. It makes us feel special to have this knowledge. It makes us feel important. When a friend tells you something that he could not tell anyone else, you know that you matter to that person. They confided in you. They shared their yada. And you know that you're important and it makes you feel good. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul showed that the Corinthians showed the Corinthians that spiritual information is privileged. He gave them a hunger for it and then bang, he took it all away. Ah, Paul, why'd you do that? Because they weren't ready for it. The Corinthians considered themselves to be spiritual and, and due to Hellenistic thinking, they would have believed that a person was more spiritual when they had more knowledge. Hellenists. Hellenists were not a group of women named Helen, okay? Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. Jewish people, they were, they, they were uh, in, in most, in, well, in, in the context here, they were they were uh, Jewish converts, Gentiles, who were, who, were, who were Greek, they spoke Greek, Gentiles who converted to the Jewish faith. Now, Paul was a Jew. He also spoke Greek, so he could work both sides of the street. He was a Greek-speaking, genuine Jew. He wasn't... He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a convert. He was the real deal. And they believed that the more you know, knew and the better you could speak, the more spiritual you were. And it made sense in their thinking because they believed knowledge and eloquence was close to uh, the divine. Obviously, the, the, the divine is spiritual, so the better you can speak and the more you know, the closer you are to God. And thus, the more spiritually mature you are. That was what their thinking was. Well, Matthew 7, 6 says, no, 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 no. He said, Jesus says, don't waste what's holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. They'll trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. I know that's not King James, but the NLT, that, that is a, a wonderful translation of that verse. And Jesus' point is that certain truths and blessings of our faith are not to be shared with people who are totally ignorant and antagonistic toward the things of God. 
Such people are spiritual dogs and swine. I've got to hurry up here. Uh, the spiritual dog, the, the, the dog was, was a mongrel. They weren't the family pet. And pigs were, were absolutely a, a horrendous... Uh, uh, the, 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 the pigs were anti against everything that was Jewish. Uh, that's why uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, when he, when he came and he overthrew the, uh, uh, in 72 AD, overthrew Jerusalem, he sacrificed a pig on the, on the altar of, in the tabernacle. And he, he, he was just complete uh, disregard and disrespect for the things of God. And so such people as these were, were, were spiritually unrighteous. And, and he says, you take what is holy, the pearls, which was the most rare and valuable of jewels in God's word, and, and the foolishness as an insult. So they would boast on their maturity and spirituality. And Paul said, you're not spiritual, you're merely infants. You can't feed yourself, you can't even chew your own food. I'm going to have to give you milk because you're babies. What's it look like, the last thing? Spiritual completeness. It's not seen in your knowledge. Some or, the, of the most, or some or the most immature Christians have amassed great amount of knowledge, yet some are very mature and follow the Spirit. They could cite many Scripture verses, yet spirituality is measured not in the head with what you know or in the mouth with what you say or in the hands with what you do. The Pharisees thought they had all three. We've got to let go of our old life. We've got to grow up in Christ, allowing ourselves to be developed and matured so that we can grow up and look like Jesus. You can't just change your personal maturity in your physical life into spiritual maturity. It won't happen. Spiritual maturity comes from looking like Jesus, and it's going to come from living life according to the will of God. When we do this as a church, not just as individuals, we become a mature community. We become more attractive to those who are looking inside at us. They want to look at us in how we live and how we love and how we treat each other. And when we do that, we do become irresistible to the community. When we become a mature community, we'll no longer have to worry about drawing people into the church. They're going to be drawn in by the they are the, the irresistible community that we become more like Jesus Christ. We first have to learn to love, my friends, and then live like Jesus so that we can look like him to the rest of the world. Let's pray.